Okay, there we go. Chapter number six. All right, we are getting into the section most people are the most curious about, the judgment sections. Chapter six all the way into chapter 19 is about judgments. And and they're very graphic at times. They're alarming. Uh, There are some things in there we may not understand until we actually uh, see it fulfilled. If we even watch, I don't know. I'll be gladly up in heaven, distracted by watching my Savior. There's a lot of things going to be going on here on this earth. And that's the view you're going to get here. And it is something that we tend to gravitate toward. There's sensational concepts in here and a lot of incredible things. But I'll tell you what I do know. It's all true. It will happen the way the Lord said so. And it will happen soon. That's what I believe it's on top of it all. And so as we go through this, this is not some imaginary uh, fantasy world. This is reality. And in that sense, it's going to be alarming to see what the Lord is doing. And I'm going to make one stress as I go through this section of the book, which is a lot of chapters, is that the Lord has every right to do this. All right? And we're going to see why as we develop it, as we go through it. So let's start here in chapter 6. When I get down to the last two verses, those are our emphasis for the morning in verse 16 and 17, where they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's going to be our primary focus when we get through the chapter. So, follow with me as I read through these 17 verses all together. Starting chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying, With a loud voice of thunder, come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, come. And another, a red horse, went out. And And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that man should would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And he broke the third seal. I heard a living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like the voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Darius, and three quarts of barley for a Darius. Do not damage the oil and the wine. And when the lamb broke, The fourth seal, I heard the voice of four living creatures saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on, uh, and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
and there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked, and he who broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe fruit when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks on the mountains or of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Woo! That's a heavy chapter. Heavenly Father, we open up this book today, here in this chapter. We read your word. Your word is true. It's always true. There's nothing in here that contradicts your nature. Your holiness, your love, your care, your justice, nothing is contradicted in here with who you are. And our goal today, as we read through these things, is to set our eyes on things above where Christ is seated, that we may set our minds there and fix them there, that we may see him. For we long to see our Savior, and that day is coming. And yet, when that happens, this day is coming right after. And I would pray, Lord, that uh, as we learn today what's going to happen to this earth in the future, you might uh, put within our heart a desire to see that men know the gospel before it's too late. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's walk through a couple of things. Very important section here kind of outline about what we're about to observe, okay? Revelation, the book as a glance. Let's take one big picture of here. As we talk through these passages, the first four chapters, or five chapters we've already seen, are primarily views of our Savior Jesus Christ, His love for His church, and a scene in heaven where He shows He has the right to judge. The chapters that before us now, chapter 6 all the way through chapter 19, is a description of the judgment that he brings on this world. Chapters 1 through 3 sets the table. It's recorded very, very, very clearly. The Lord loves his church. I emphasize that. I'm going to keep emphasizing it. It's very important that we understand. That's the importance of this book. The whole point of this book is to talk about Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Him. The recipients of this book is who? Wild guess. It's the church. The church received the book. Why? Well, so that they could prepare to go through the judgments? No, so that they would know what the Lord is doing in relation to His plan and His love for His church. 
It's all wrapped up in his love for this church. I'm going to show you that this morning so that you're convinced. (coughs) But the emphasis of the book is the love the Lord has for his church. The events of judgment, starting here in chapter 6, going through chapter 19. It's called the wrath of the Lamb. You saw that, didn't you? The wrath of the Lamb against the world that has rejected him and his church. The wrath of the Lamb. Rarely do we think of a Lamb with wrath. Go ahead, picture a soft, fuzzy little one right now. As angry as it could possibly be. Does it scare you? Probably not. It's an interesting terminology to set before us. But the Lamb speaks of what the Lord has done for us. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, right? We understand that and we appreciate that. And we picture Him as not only our shepherd, but also as our Lamb. It's interesting. And yet, He has the right to judge. He has wrath is the word we're going to see. Chapters 4 through 5 is that great heavenly throne room we've been looking at. The Father holding a book, which we found out now is about judgment. And the Lamb appears in chapter 5 and claims the book. He is worthy to open it, right? We walked through that. We saw that. He's worthy because, because, it says in verse number 9 of chapter 5, because... You were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. That is the comparison we found in chapter number 1, verse 5 and 6, a description of the church. He's getting glory because he purchased the church. He's worthy to open the scroll. If the scroll of judgment is because he was slain for the church. Underscore those thoughts in your mind. Because they're very important to understand. Why is he doing this? Well, he's worthy to take the book, right? He's described as a lion of Judah, of David. We link those words with the Jews. We link them with humanity. We link them with the kingdom. We're not thinking of a lamb often, but there he is. And the picture is that he slaughtered for our sins. That's what stands out when John saw the picture, right? A lamb, as if he's been slaughtered, standing before the throne. The Lord has given it this emphasis on purpose. And I'm going to show you why as we go through this. You were slain. You purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. He did something nobody else did and nobody else could do. Jesus Christ fulfilled something incredible in this very act. I've, always, I've told you this last week, but when it comes down to the divine persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's only Jesus that took on flesh. Only Jesus that came to dwell among mankind. Only Jesus was a descendant of Judah. Only Jesus was a descendant of David. Only Jesus qualified to be the slaughtered lamb. This is emphasized carefully. Only Jesus died for the sins of the world. Only Jesus paid the price. For the church. 
only Jesus. That's why he's the focus in all that we're going to look through here. And because of all that, he has the rights. He has the rights to judge those who have opposed his church, and he has the rights to bring judgments on this world. Let me give you more details to this as we go through this. Go to your, hold your bookmark, right? John chapter 1. John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. I'm going to walk you through several passages of Scripture here for a few minutes. So be ready to turn pages as we go. Chapter 1, verse 10. Sorry, Anthony, you're waiting for that last button. Chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, it says. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So what's that make him? Creator. And the world did not know him. The Creator came into his own creation, and that creation rejected him. Did not know him. He has the right to judge it as a Creator. Keep going. Verse number 11. He came unto his own, his own people, those whom he had made. And those who were his own did not receive him. They cast him off. Remember, they rejected him. They reviled him. They crucified him. He has the rights as the rejected one from his own people. To judge them. Top it off with this. Isn't he the head of the church? Yes. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. He is the head of the church. He has the right to judge a world that has rejected his church. Don't forget, the church is described as his bride. Alright, side note, just for a second, just think about this. If somebody's beating up your bride, what would you do? Would you not defend her? Protect her? Do something about that? Jesus isn't going to turn a blind eye to how this world treats his bride. He has the rights to judge because he's the groom. He's the head of the church. He has the right to judge a world that's rejected his people. There are those who do not want Jesus to be a judge, they only want him to be a savior. They think they could separate those two and say, oh, just make him a savior. Make him, make him kind and gentle and rescue me and, and then I'm happy. But don't make him a judge. Don't put him in charge. Don't have him judge the world and bring judgment into it. Well, folks, you can't separate Jesus into compartments. He is both a savior and a Lord, isn't he? How do you separate those two? He is both the creator and he's the judge. He's all of the above. I hope it doesn't surprise you that Jesus would defend his church. <laughs> For nearly 2,000 years, this church has been abused, hated by this world. It has gone forth in the power of the gospel to present the truth 
so that man who desperately needs to be saved can hear the wonderful truth and come to know Christ as Savior. Hasn't the desire of the church been for the benefit of the lost? That's what we'd say, yes. That's what we want, yes. They are taking great news. Even the, good, the gospel is good news in, in the Greek. Ooh, angelion, good news. And that's what we carry. Good news. Most people don't like the bearer of bad news. Here we walk in with good news. And they don't want it. Because men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds are evil. They don't want the gospel light to shine in. It exposes them for who they are. But that's the very reason why we take it. Because when a man sees who he is, then he knows he needs a Savior. And we've got a Savior, folks. All of us sitting here, I think it's all of us sitting here, know the wonderful truth of a Savior. We've received that. We say, why would they reject such a thing? We've gone forth over the years and years, and you've read the books, you've heard the stories. Men who have gone forth with the power of the gospel, they've gone to the hardest places on this planet. They've gone sometimes seen success, yes. And folks led to the Lord. Sometimes that happens. And many times they face opposition. Sometimes there's a spear. And there are pilots laying dead on the beach. You know? That's happened too many times. In the course of God's record of His church, He has seen the martyrs. Lots of them. Sometimes we see that and we stand back and say, Wow! We've seen the tool of martyrdom used against this church time after time after time. A man who wanted to translate the Scripture into a language for his own people to read it and enjoy it. To know the truth, they put him on a stake and burned him to death. William Tyndale. How many times has that happened in our world? When men have wanted to give them the truth. They died carrying that message. How many times have they been mocked for it? How many times have they been imprisoned for that? How many times have they been tortured for that? Because they love the Lord and they carry His message. And they go through some very tough times on this earth. Hebrews chapter 10. Just wander over there for a minute. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse number 32. Give you a handful of verses here. Where the writer says this Remember the former days? Verse 32 is the way he starts. Remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You were showing sympathy to the prisoners. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while... He who is coming will come, and he will not delay. That to us is good news. 
To the world, it's not. The world has mistreated his people. They've abused his bride. Turn to chapter 11. You're still there? Move over to verse 35. In the great listing of those who have walked by faith, we have this, this picture set before us, starting in verse 35. Women receive back their dead by resurrection, and others, I always mark that line, others, who are they? They're all unnamed here. But there are those, others, who were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might receive or obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonments, and they were stoned, and they were sawn in two, and they were tempted, and they were put to death with the sword, and they were uh, went about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute and afflicted and ill-treatment, men of whom this world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Yet in that same context, same context, back up to chapter 10 one more time, same context, verse number 29. Watch this. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know that he said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. What have you just seen? The church being abused, the believers being abused, ill-treated by this world, and the Lord knows it. He says, oh, it's not for you to judge. It's not for you to bring vengeance. It's not for you to make this right. It's my job. I'm the Lord. It's my job to bring this out. You read verse 29, 30, and 31, and say, well, is he talking to the church, or is he talking to the believers, or is he talking to the world? Well, here's the reality of the passage. It is a little challenging to go through, but there's only one who brings judgment. Regardless of who he's addressing here, it's only one who says, vengeance is mine. Only one who claims that. Nobody else can, because the Lord will judge he will judge. And then if you add the book of Jude to this, the wonderful little book of Jude, which most people won't memorize, I think, because of the nature of it. It's kind of like, ooh. There's, when you turn your pages there, they might feel warm. All right? But look at the book of Jude, verse number 14. It's right before the book of Revelation. Right? Not too far in front of it. And it says this. In verse 14, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, The Lord came with many thousands of his Holy One to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly 
of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What's the key word? Ungodly. (laughs) It's not a pretty verse, is it? The Lord executes judgment against all who commit ungodliness. So as Jesus is talking to his disciples just before his crucifixion, that, I imagine, would change your life to have seen it. The disciples are in that room never knowing what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. Jesus is preparing their hearts for it. He says, you're going to see something terrible. But I want you to understand it in a perspective. When you stand back and look at all this, I want you to understand this. In John 15, he says these verses, 18 through 27. I'm just going to read the whole pile. You ready? This is what he says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word which I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word which was spoken in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, nothing in this paragraph will make you say, boy, I can't wait. (laughs) It's all judgment. Hatred. Judgment. This is the way they've been treating our Savior This is the way they're going to treat you because you belong to him. And nobody comes away saying, boy, I love that passage. But he's not done. After he goes through another chapter of that kind of information, he gets to John 16, verse 33, and he says these words that just puts encouragement in our hearts every time. These things I have spoken to you, he says, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I could go on and on to make my point this morning. There are scriptures abundantly that address this, but so does the book of Revelation. We see in the first three chapters his love for his church. And many times we take those and set them over here in a nice little pile and we say, that's pretty stuff. And then we go over here to chapter 6 and march on through it as if it's something entirely different. Most of the commentary is set up that way. It's like we turn the page, let's just talk about all these other things when we forgot about the context. The context is Jesus Christ and his love for his church. There's tribulation, yes. 
And it has nothing to do with us. Well, that's true. But it has everything to do with the fact that Jesus loves his church. The world has rejected the message. They have rejected the messenger. They've rejected him who came and died for them. What else is there to give them but wrath? You see it? That's what comes from rejection, is wrath. The Lamb opened a scroll. It's a scroll of wrath. It's the beginning of wrath here in Revelation. We're so curious about these scrolls, these books. What are they? Well, this book has seven seals. Revelation chapter 6 is where we're going. It has seven seals. Seven different kinds of judgments. Each one is snapped open and a new judgment comes forth. They follow one after the other. It just stands to reason that way. That this is judgment one and then when that's done, judgment two. And then when that's done, judgment three. Because it keeps breaking the seals as they go. Chapter six records six of the seven judgments. And it reserves the other one for another chapter down the road. There's an interlude. Chapter 7, we're going to enjoy that. Chapter number 8, he breaks open the seventh one. He say, "Woo! got through those judgments. Guess what happens? Seven more judgments pop. They're, trumpet, they're called trumpet judgments, and that's because they're marked by a trumpet. And chapters 8 through 11, another order of judgments come. And there are seven trumpet judgments. And what's interesting, they all grow in intensity. Key to understanding all this. The judgments grow worse and worse. Worse and worse. Chapter 8, 16. You say, well, okay, we made it through the trumpet judgments. And there's a third set. A third set comes open in chapter 16. And they're more severe than the first two. They're called the bowl judgments. And we'll tell about that when we get there. But they all describe judgments. Three sets of judgments are coming. Each of them have seven pieces within them. Seven different judgments inside of the frame of a big one. Alright? Each judgment grows in intensity. They all happen within seven years. It's remarkable. Matter of fact, the end statement is, and if he didn't cut it short, who would have survived? Because of the nature of these judgments. Folks, I don't think our world has understood this or what it's coming to understand. When you reject the Lamb and His message, there's only wrath. Our world doesn't want that side. They want something in between. I don't know what it is. Make us kind of comfortable, but not too comfortable. Enough just to say, you know, we'll punish you for a few weeks and then let you out. Give you a second chance. They come up with all these different schemes to replace the fact that Jesus will bring wrath. Because they rejected him. They rejected him. The saddest words this world will ever hear, or any individual on it will ever hear, is these words, but I never knew you. That's what he's going to say at the judgment seat. And they stand before him. I never knew you. Those are sad, frightening words. But they're the words of our Savior. Judgment to those who would not hear him. 
Now, there's a, there's a way to briefly outline all these chapters in front of you and, and talk to them. I'm hoping you're reading the chapter as we go through and preparing yourself for these things, because we're not going to be able to give you all, but we're going to give you what you can see this morning. You ready? Chapter 6. Okay. That's just the introduction? I've got five minutes. You ready? Seven seals. Six of them happen here. Verse number one, he breaks the first seal. Out comes a white horse, it says, in verse number two. Some people say, oh, that must be a picture of Christ. It looks like him, but it's not. It's the Antichrist. And he does look like him. That's the whole point. The Antichrist is a deceiver. His goal is to look like Christ as much as possible. Yet his goal is to conquer the whole world. He plans to overcome the world. Not so much with weapons, because he doesn't have uh, an arrow. He just has a bow. You know, there's not a whole lot you could do in winning a battle with just a bow. But he goes about with a bow, without the arrow. He uses his words, perhaps, his actions mostly, to accomplish the appearance that he's the Messiah and he's bringing forth peace. Let me underscore something for you. The fact that the Antichrist shows up is also part of the Lord's judgment. If they refuse him, he will give them the counterfeit they've always wanted. They will not like that. We've got a lot more to talk about him, but see, that's the first judgment. The first judgment, first thing out of the gate, Antichrist. You will not know him here, now. Oh, you could try the games and gimmicks and figure it out. I'm sure if you follow through the formulas, you're going to find out you're the Antichrist too. It just happens that way. It's just the numbers and all that stuff they do. But the fact is that he is not revealed until the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way. In other words, the rapture occurs first. So, we won't know his name. But by the way, he is not sovereign. He is not sovereign. He's a conqueror. He's a deceiver. He's terrible. Yes, terrible. But he is not Lord. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. And he's the one who broke the seal. Seal number two is broken. In verse number three and four, it talks about a red horse coming out. And this, instead of the promise of peace, is war on the earth. War on the earth. And that's a terrible thing. And we know that from history. But war is a terrible thing. And it's given unto men that they slay one another. Men begin to kill one another. And the natural result of that is the next judgment. In verse number 5 and 6, famine follows. And that does follow war. Because they destroy everything around them as they go through. It's more important to blow up something than to maintain that field. So there's wheat being sold for a day's wages. You get a single quart of wheat. Think of it. A single quart of wheat costing what you earn in a whole day of work. It says it's going to be quite a famine. An incredible famine in that day. And what follows behind that? Verse 7 and 8, death. Death follows. The fourth horse that comes out in the fourth field. Death and the grave. They call it Hades. That's the grave. Death in the grave follows. You want to get an astronomical figure in your head? If you Google the world population, which you've got to believe them, right? They're Google. And so you typed it in there. What's the world's population? The other day it was 7 
billion five hundred and seventy seven million one hundred and thirty thousand four hundred. That was just the other day. It's probably bigger now. Estimate eight billion, just a round number. Eight billion. Easy number to it says in verse number what? Eight? One fourth of the world dies in that judgment. We've had a lot of terrible things on this earth. We read about it in the news right now. You don't want to go to China, right? You say, oh, I don't want to go and catch that, that terrible disease that's been virus going around or whatever the case might be. Imagine whatever judgment it is that kills two billion people. We can't even wrap our heads around such a figure. Two billion people dies in the first four seal judgments and it's only beginning. Like I said, this is not some fantasy. <laughs> this is reality. This is what they have to face. A chapter, uh, the fifth seal pops out in verse 9 through 11. The world did not amend its ways because of that. It's still persecuting the believers. And there's a unique set of believers on the earth right there. They are believers I call tribulational saints. That's not the church. They've already been raptured up. All right? There are some on this earth. They come to know Christ as Savior. Praise the Lord for that. But their life is not easy for seven years. They are persecuted severely for seven years. Matter of fact, there are a bunch of martyrs because of it. This unique bunch is not the church. It's not Old Testament saints. It's tribulational saints. And they cry out to the Lord and they said, Are you going to avenge us too? The Lord says, Yes. Just wait. Just wait. There's my clue. I give you before. The Lord will defend His church. He will also defend His believers in the tribulation period too. He says, Oh yes, I know you're crying out with a loud voice. How long, O oh Lord? How long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And He says, Just wait. There's more yet to die in My name. That's terrible, but it's true. And then He breaks the last seal. The sixth seal, at least for this today, we're going to get to the seventh seal later, but an intense alteration to the skies. It talks about the sun and the moon and an earthquake like this world has never, ever known. An earthquake so severe it moves our islands out of their place. So severe it crushes mountains to the ground. Could you imagine it? I believe it's absolutely true. And it's going to happen. And you can read all that all the way to verse number 17 because this will scare them to death. That's of my figure of speech. I said, I'd rather have a rock fall on me than to be under the wrath of the Lamb. Do you know? They know who's doing it. They know who's doing it. Here's the amazing thing. Though they know what is happening and they know who is doing it, and they know that they're in serious trouble under his judgments, yet they do not repent of their deeds. Is that amazing or what? They do not change their ways. Peter said it this way. Second Peter 3. Starting verse 3, I'm going to read to you a handful of verses. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, Where's the promise of his coming? Every sense the fathers fell asleep. All continues just as it was from the beginning. They're mocking him. 
Because they knew he said he's coming to judge. And they're saying, <laughs> I don't think so. He, he, he didn't mean it. For when they maintain this, Peter says, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at the time was destroyed, being flooded with water. And by his word, this present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not let this escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. And the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some men count slowness, but he's patient. He's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord still will come. I added still, but it's there. It will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, the earth and its works will be burned up. And since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it gets personal. What sort of people ought you to be in your holy conduct and your godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Do you desire that? What's it going to be? The day of God will be when the heavens are destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. And you say, why does anyone look forward to that? Because that our Savior is satisfied. Do you want that? Do you want to see Him fulfill His will? Do you want to see this world understand His glory? You have to desire that day too. That's part of who He is. He's coming to judge. And we as believers ought to be looking forward to His coming. And those kind of things ought to work in our hearts as well as in our head. Jesus is coming. For us, that's great news. For this world, it is not. Just understand all these things because you are children of God. And what's great about that is when He appears, you will be like Him. But you shall see Him as He is. What a glorious thing we have before us. And if your hope is fixed on that, what do you do? You purify yourself just as He is pure. Those are the things I keep bringing back to you week after week, just to remind you that as we go through this, we have a unique relationship with Jesus Christ. We have hope, folks. We have salvation in His name. We are loved by Him so greatly that He's going to punish this world for rejecting His church. Isn't that amazing? It's an astounding thing. But would you ever think that His love is complete if He did not deal with those who hate His church? He's got to deal with them. That's the tribulation period. But in the meantime, prepare to see your Savior. He's coming. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. There's a lot here to unpack. We know it. There's so much here. And yet I hope that uh, the emphasis has been set where it should be. We want to talk about Jesus. We want to talk about his love. We want to relish in what we have. But we live in a wicked world, Lord. You know that. One that does not like the light, does not like our message. 
It's not easy to live here, but this is temporary. And someday we're going to be with you and we'll be like you. We long for that. But Lord, while we're here, while we wait, instill within us a desire to share this message more and more. The world is getting closer and closer to this day of judgment. And we have the truth that changes the heart forever. May we be quick to share it. Give us evangelistic hearts, we pray, as we serve you down here on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent.